0: Welcome to a coffee room chat in ENT. This is the second series of podcasts where experts in the field discuss their experience in the management of important and challenging aspects of ENT surgery. This is a collaboration between ENT UK and the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh and it's presented and produced by me, James Tyson an ENT surgeon from Cambridge, and the director of e-learning for ENT UK. Uh, and of course, with the help of the team at the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh. Our first episode is all about nasal reconstruction, the tips and tricks. And this has been put together with the help of the British Society of Facial Plastic Surgery. and features Miss Sadie Kwaja and Professor Tim Wolford. So Sadie is a consultant rhinologist, facial plastic surgeon uh, in Manchester. She has over 10 years experience with facial reconstruction, and she is a, a member of committee of the British Society of Facial Plastic Surgery. Uh, Tim is uh, also a uh, rhinologist, facial plastic surgeon. He actually retired last year from Manchester, uh, and his surgical practice was Almost entirely uh, related to nasal plastic and reconstructive surgery there. Uh, he holds an honorary chair at uh, Edge Hill University and is a past president of the British Society of Facial Plastic Surgery. So they will explore the different aspects of nasal reconstruction, the reconstructive ladder, the different grafts and flaps uh, and when to use them and the top tips on uh, using them with success. So over to uh, Sadie and Tim.
1: Hi, Tim. Nice to see you. Hi, Sadie. Yeah, Morning, Morning, Sadie. Nice to see you. Uh,
2: So I I just uh, did a case last week, and I just thought, "Mm, I wonder what you thought about it, really. Um, Just a small uh, defect on the nasal tip. And usually uh, they they come via the um, dermatology and stuff, and I don't really have much to think about it. I usually look at it and think about uh, doing a flap local flap Uh, it usually is my preference um, compared to grafting because i feel it's a one-stop uh patients like it um but sometimes can be quite challenging uh what what do you think about it depends
1: on where it is and how big and how deep it is um if you look at the the sort of defects we commonly see on this i mean a central tip defect over a centimeter centimeter and a half that's a kind of situation where a biolobe is good as we've talked about this a lot. I've had a sort of love, hate relationship with biolobes over the years. I did some, and then I just sort of felt that they often didn't look that great. Um, so I moved away from them for quite a while, but then I've sort of moved back to them because I think they definitely do have a role. Um, so, but if what I have done in more in recent years, if the defect is, about a centimeter up to a centimeter the problem i found with biologes is the contouring and the telangiectasia that you get with them um so it sort of depends where you set the bar really mm. what i've done a lot of is using a composite skin and fat graft for smaller defects taking the skin from the forehead so it's like a forehead flat without the flat really um yeah. and then contouring the fat and i think in a for certain patients and these are these is for patients who don't smoke and are uh, otherwise got no other sort of vascular risk factors i think they can do quite well and you can contour the fat and get a really quite nice contoured mm. result with a good skin match um so i think those are the two options for something like that a central tip uh mm. defect away from the area but what do, what do you Have you any tips for getting bilobes to look nice? Because I I know you do quite a few of these.
2: Yeah, I I think for me, it's looking at where the reservoir is and how I'm moving it. Um, Bilobed sits quite nicely on a nose because most of the reservoir comes from usually the capella and it's moving that down. Um, It is challenging in the scar lines, trying to get them to sit in the shadows of the nose. Um, And I think that, that... in itself is a challenge and then the but kind of the uh cushioning as you're saying uh pin cushioning of the tip itself or of yeah. the main kind of area i think you just have to be meticulous with the actual geometry and sure. also also kind of i think the classic is always trying to make it fit rather than getting it precise to fit exactly and it's right. i mean that sounds like i'm saying the same thing but it's quite slightly different um, so it's m- measuring it out accurately and then readjusting constantly until it sits.
1: What would be your like size s- defect size limit to make a bi-lobe work without distorting yeah. the nose in a, you know, in a patient who, because the things, you, patients are different, aren't they? There's some patients mm-hmm. who, for whom aesthetics is not a big concern in reality. Um, although, you know, that's it's yeah. important not to be ageist about these things, um, but it, what's the sort of size limit you think you can make them work?
2: Oh, no, not, not big, really. I, no. I would say less than a centimetre or just okay, around the centimetre right. mark.
1: Centimetre, yeah. yeah. How, close to, how close to the ala? Uh
2: To the ala rim? You may Yeah, not, they, because they, yeah. Move,
1: they can move the nostril, can't they, these things?
2: They, they do, and I think all of them do, because there's usually initial pull. Um, right. You've just got to recognise how much of that will settle with time. Uh, so if it lifts significantly, yes, it's, it's just not the right, it, you've, you've not released it enough. Um, but I think I always expect a little bit of a lift and then I expect that to drop uh, as okay. it heals. Um, right. But I don't try and get it to, I, I think I avoid anything on the rim too close okay. um, purely because of um, uh, the healing process and things like
1: yeah. that. Yeah. What about a defect? um which again we commonly see an, a- an ailer defect to so say a small ailer defect which yeah. is up to the ailer margin uh two-thirds of the ailer. say for instance um where a bilobe's just not going to work is it you know you can't no. you've got to have a different approach for that yeah my experience of these is that putting a skin graft on those they look good on the table but yeah. they they just retract
0: yeah. and
1: um they don't look good long term oh, yeah. you know um mm-hmm. what's your your thoughts about that
2: uh yeah ailerin's a different subject matter in itself a whole different they? ball game yeah <laughs> um,
1: they're hard aren't they to get good you know so they can they, it's not what they look like on the table it's what they look like in three six months That's important. yeah yeah
2: and i think yeah absolutely it's all really really round about uh getting the anatomy right and getting that support in um so I think that moves us into that realm of cartilage uh, harvesting, possibly.
1: It does, I think, because if you've, I think if you've got a defect down to the alar margin or clo- even close to it, you need to be able to put cartilage in there, mm. even if the inner lining's intact. Yes, if the inner lining's intact. People are tempted; they think, "Oh, we can get away with just putting skin on it."
0: It's mm.
1: not going to work. It's all going to retract. You have to mm. put cartilage in.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm. Um. Yeah. Sort of cartilage grafts. And I I've again, I've changed over the well, changed pretty quickly, if I'm honest. And I I used to I used to use septum for some of these cartilage grafting cases. But now I must admit, I just move very quickly to just go straight for ear cartilage because of its curvature. And it's it's more it just handles nicely. And so I almost always use it, almost always use ear cartilage for reconstructions when I need them. Oh,
2: I completely agree. I think yeah. the ear cartilage is just far superior. Uh, it just is, the yeah. contours of the choice is so huge. You know, you can take it from all different aspects, from the conchal bowl, i even mm. you know, from just uh, uh, above or below um, around the edges of the cartilage as well. You can use and turn it around. I mean, I think the kind of choice is unlimited, and the quality is such different. difference. I mean, it's different type of cartilage anyway, uh, yeah. and it's great for augmenting.
1: I mean, the reality, not- the, rea- the reality is, if you take, if you do it regularly, and you do it carefully, and you have good technique,
0: mm.
1: you know, done it hundreds of times between us, the, it's not the chance of having a serious problem with ear cartilage grafting. is tiny, isn't it? It's not really something. I mean, I've, 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 conf- I've never had a keloid ever from a
2: no. taking
1: cartilage from, uh, laterally, and. Um, I've Almost never had a problem with it, so it's very straight, it's very safe and straightforward.
2: I, I think you have to be meticulous about the um kind of wound care afterwards. So, I, 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 I do I put agree. in a uh, kind of a supported gra- um dressing in there, stitched yeah. in uh okay. for a week. Uh, that's
1: and a I stitch think it, so. I sti- a stitch gel net in that's what that was yeah. my practice. And you, yeah, you have to be meticulous. Well, if you do laser reconstruction, you have to be meticulous about everything, actually. Mm. Um, but. Certainly with the yeah. ear, I think it's worth putting uh, suturing, suturing something in. This yeah. is a good chance just to bring up something which I've um, talked a lot about over the years. Well, I think there is a big range of opinion, and I accept that, about composite grafting. Mm. Uh, because a lot of uh, people, when they see a small defect at the ala rim, uh, like think about using a composite ear and cartilage graft. Mm. Um, can I kick off maybe and say that I think they're pretty useless, um, which is a personal view. Feel free to disagree. I yeah. tried it several times. And again, they look good on the table, but yeah. I've never had success with them. Um, I've used a, used a lot of composite grafts of skin and cartilage um, inside the nose for alar stenosis and for alar attractions. Yeah. But where they're, co- where they're cosmetically sensitive, I think they're very unpredictable in my hands. I, I just gave up pretty quickly because I just had some not very good results, you know, if I'm honest with you. yeah.
2: I, I do park them into the area of kind of, it, it does feel like it's an easy fix. And I think, you know, when you're discussing it with the patients, um, giving them the options, it kind of um, sounds easy to do. And I think that's where the pitfall is. It's, it's, it's too easy. In a sense, yeah, because
1: because uh, the other options are flat usually, yes, you know, which it's, is two it's, stages and the, you know, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. the
2: kind of uh, uh, kind of Goliath versus David, isn't it? It's a, a small thing versus the bigger thing, and I think that that's where you get kind of hooked into doing it. Um, I have tried it, I've tried it, and i I think I agree with you in the kind of hit rate is variable, um, and I think it looks good in the sense it solves the problem uh, and it looks good on table, but it's just a, it's a healing process that's so unpredictable. Um,
1: Very Even if they survive in my, my, you know, I've got to say my hands, because I've been to lectures with, I mean, the one thing I'd say about this again, slightly controversial um, is I've been to lectures from people who really like using them. uh, And when I look and they show results, Hmm. Which, in my view, aren't very good. And I presume they're showing their best results, Mm. you know, Mm. because it's a big fancy lecture. So they're not going to show bad results. So I think it does, again, depend where you set the bar. But I think if you want to get a nice, the real skill in nasal reconstructions, we know, is getting a balanced, yeah, exactly, a balanced, symmetrical ayla sadie's now doing a nice curved
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: it's it's my uh <laughs> sleepless nights. of yeah. imagining how i'm gonna won't do it
1: work terribly well on the <laughs> thing but you get the drift you're showing the bird in flight with her hands yeah. and that's mm. the skill of getting that symmetrical yeah. and smooth it's not easy very yeah. hard to do with a composite graft in my hands so i would advise people to be cautious with them i'm not saying don't use them but there's a they're limited, aren't they? Yeah.
2: I do. And I think there is, there, I'm not saying no to them either. I think, you know, in yeah. the remit of an unhealthy patient or somebody is isn't going to tolerate a full, you know, three-stage uh, flap, then it may be an option to consider, really. Um, so let's
1: look at a case which is common, as we know, mm. which is an AILA, an ala defect, which is full thickness. There's a small, goes to the ala margin. There's a small piece of mucosa missing um and it's half half the ala
0: mm.
1: how do you approach that kind of case
2: oh i like to say i mean those kind of cases you're moving on to pedicle flaps and yeah, uh, i
1: agree i agree yeah, yeah. I
2: do, this is the kind of discussion isn't it do you do do we have favorites um or is it a case of you know you go to the one that you're always using i i'm, I'm in my, I think myelolabial is my slight favourite of the two. Uh, I think the challenging bit is that to closure up at the top with the forehead relative to the myelolabial. It's usually quite nice and straightforward to kind of lift and then place. Um,
1: yeah, I, oh, Definitely. I think there's def- definitely a role for myelolabial flaps. I mean, again, I've sat in lectures where certain individuals, quite well-known people actually, have said that they've, they would always use a forehead that they've stopped using cheek flaps completely. I don't accept that. You know, I think there's certainly patients where they've got the sort of defect we've just discussed, described where they've got lax skin, they've got a deep medial labial fold. Um, and you can hide the scar very nicely in the, in the patient like that. It's a much, you know, having a forehead flap done for us is pretty doing it. It's pretty routine almost if you do mm. a lot of nasal reconstruction it's a big deal for the patient you know yeah. having a forehead flap it's a big it's mm. much much easier living with a cheek flap yeah. much easier living with a cheek flap you know you can go yeah. back to work with a little dressing on um, mm. Mm. my own journey and I'm just interested to hear what you think about this i started out trying to use uh a pedicled subcutaneous melolabial flap i not the cutaneous one where the skin's left intact but a one where it's rotated on on a on a deep fat pedicle Mm. um and i found those pretty unreliable if i'm honest and abandoned it and just for the vast majority of my time doing nasal recons Mm. did an awful lot of cutaneous flaps where you leave the skin pedicle intact more difficult to close more reliable what do Mm. you think
2: yeah yeah, I, I think it's all down to kind of um, r- recognizing the feeding vessels underneath the perforators and and the challenges of um, rotating. And it, it's always under, it's always to do with kind of you know, is it tension free, uh, right. and that then helps you with the placing of the flap itself. Um,
1: yeah.
2: I, I must say, I've I've been pretty good with immunolabials i think um, i think it all comes down to picking that right patient as you said i
1: agree um I agree.
2: particularly yeah. when they've got laxity in those folds uh really it, it lifts quite nicely um, there's, definitely
1: a, there's definitely a role for them um i do think you need to put some cartilage in again i think mm. if you've got a defect down to the rim you need yes. to mobilize that mucosa bring that mucosa down put some cartilage in and put a put a flap on it and i think the cutaneous ones are reliable when do you divide them how long do you leave
2: them uh three weeks is my standard
1: okay um, yeah i just leave them four but yeah because yeah. you can divide them sooner can't you but
2: yeah i think the I, only I challenge i kind of <clears> get with them is is just knowing how much thinning to do in the primary kind of surgery so yeah. you know, i always end up i think it's a learning curve again of how how bulky that flap looks yeah. Um, and then that second time of kind of thinning it down. But how much yeah. do you, how do you balance that? How How do you do?
1: Well, I think you get braver with experience, don't you? Um, and again, with the cutaneous flap, I found the reason I like them is I found that I could thin them and contour them more because I just think they're more reliable. Um, in the time remaining, Sadie, let's talk about oh. the big full thickness defects mm. um, where you've mm. got a hole in the nose. So you've got a patient who's missing the ailer missing some of the sidewall, a big load of fresh air.
0: Mm.
1: How would you, what are the sort of principles? And let's talk yeah. a bit about the three-layer reconstruction, which we
2: I think you fund- have to... Di- yeah, I, I yeah. think those are kind of the pinnacle of what we do. And I think dividing it into three clear stages, um, that's kind of... The, the one that you're comfortable with, I have to say, is the flap raising um, and even the cartilage harvesting, because you've done most of that uh, routinely, it becomes second nature. I think the challenging bit is that mucosal layer. And I find it's the hardest one to teach and train juniors with and also the yeah. hardest one to actually mobilize. So I yeah. think that's where I'd really have to spend some time and think about how, how am I going to mobilize. That mucosal. Well,
1: one tip I've got for that, which is again, again non-textbook tips is the hard part about raising a big septal, and an, an, anterior, an anteriorly-based septal hinge flap is the sort of workhorse flap, isn't it? Mm. You take it off the septum, it's, you leave it attached at the front and you swing it forwards, and that back cut is difficult mm. um, because you can't do it with a, it's very hard to do with a scalpel. I think a, 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 a beaver-bladed D-knife that the ophthalmologists use is ideal for that because it's right-angled. Mm. So you can actually cut down onto the mucosa. Mm. The other thing about that flap, it can bleed like crazy. It's very vascular, mm. so I used to put make sure after I've raised the flap that I would put nasapore, I'd diatherm but I put nasapore, fill the nose with nasapore, and even flow seal at times. Because mm. that's the sort that's a bleed you don't want post op. Yeah, you've got the note when you've effectively got the nose closed. Yeah. I-
2: I would say just um, make sure you've got the endoscope out um,
1: and, yes, good, and yeah. definitely
2: yeah. use that because I find the angles and challenging, particularly once you pass the front of the nose to try and uh, recognize how far back your flap is going to be lifted. You know, the, the, the kind of length of your flap as well. I think the uh, options of other options besides septal hinge flaps, I have used turbinate uh, as an option because I thought, well, that's a lot of mucosa I can mobilize. Okay. Um the challenge is just getting the orientation right so it it works quite well to the roof uh, of the nose uh, mobilizing it upwards Um, but again it's just understanding how you can move mucosa around is there any other mucosa you would think about
1: no I I think it's difficult you can use a skin turn you can also use skin turn down flaps as well Um, Mm, yes so we put the cartilage in. The key to the cartilage, as we know, is to make it non-anatomical non- and bring it right down to the alar margin. Um, and then in this situation, you need to cover it with a forehead flap. If the if the defect goes onto the cheek, bring the cheek skin forwards so you're reconstructing the cheek separate from the nose. You don't want to put a lap. The forehead flap shouldn't extend onto the uh, onto the cheek. Any tips, you know, for... The forehead flaps there's they're very they're very very reliable flap aren't they yeah they
2: are i think it's the closure for the scar it just um being meticulous about that
1: absolutely yeah
2: i think that's the thing that they will notice um and i think the challenge the biggest challenge i've had to this day even is taking the flap round the rim um and closing it i mean attaching it into the into the nasal cavity itself
1: Yeah, my advice there is to not attempt to roll the flap. It's like trying to roll a phone book. Mm. What I would do is bring the mucosa over, attach the flap directly to the mucosa round the cartilage. Mm. I appreciate you bringing mucosa more cordially and into the nose, which is not anatomically normal, but that doesn't cause a problem. I've done it hundreds of times, and it Mm. it heals very, very nicely. Yeah. Um, and they don't, people talk about them having a mucosal drip and uh, mucus drip and things like that. I've never seen that. And if you look at the nose
0: mm. a
1: few months later, it almost beco- undergoes metaplasia, becomes like skin. Um, mm. that's,
2: that's a tip I'm going to take away today. Oh, actually. definitely, yeah. Uh, a yeah. other,
1: few other little tips about, because um, we're sort of running out of time, I'm aware of that. Yeah. Um, flies by 20 minutes. I just... um, um Other things I've learned over the years. um I think that one temptation when you start is to make the flaps too wide.
0: Mm.
1: A centimetre and a half is about right for a forehead. Do you agree with that?
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah,
1: because if you make them too wide, they just don't rotate. Rotate mm. them to get the raw surface away from the eye. And when I started, I was very nervous about diatherming these flaps, but you can diathermize the flap. It, doesn't, it never causes a problem. And I use flow seal now. I used mm. to put flow seal on every flap. It's made a huge difference. Yeah. You know, it's much better.
2: And I think that the thing actually, the the post op, the main complaint is usually around the ear. So again, just being meticulous about that uh, dressing, yeah. uh, and making sure that's nice and dry when when the patient's waking up. Uh, and and, when, as did, I said, when,
1: when do you divide a forehead?
2: Yeah, again, same. I would say about the three week window.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, I used to I used to leave them four because I just felt leaving a little bit longer, which is a little more more for the patient I I appreciate that but I felt I was able to they're a bit less vascular at that point and I used to find I was able to contour them more effectively and get them to inset more more accurately if I left them that little bit longer and also if you have a full thickness defect I would divide I was much more comfortable dividing the mucosa at the same time at four weeks I do them both together yeah
2: yeah I I just you know yeah, I, I find the yeah. patients dictate it a little. I think
1: they get agree, frustrated. Yeah. They, get, they it. do get fed up, yeah. yeah.
2: So I think uh, by that time, I think that's usually enough. Uh, yeah, and I think the other key message, I suppose, is recognizing, as we've discussed today, kind of reconstructive ladder and its, and its value of working through each of the options and working out what may be a better option. And I think the whole point of facial plastics for us is that there's no one right answer, but there is specifics of uh, our principles that we really do stick by.
1: Yeah. There's often not, there's, there's, not, there's often different right answers, but there's often a wrong answer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in my experience of these things, you know, and that's uh, one thing you've learned. And actually, the decision making in the great big defects, as we've just discussed, is actually much easier, I think. Yeah. You're faced with something like that.
2: Yeah.
1: That's what you need to do. You know, yeah. you can't, you've got to do a big operation. It's the smaller defects that I've often spent longer sort of puzzling and figuring out what to do. And uh yeah, yeah experience is important in these things. Sadia, that's time. Time yes. to, how about that? Oh, wow. Okay. I've uh,
2: I've got lots to take away with me and uh it great to see you again.
1: Good, nice to talk to you. Okay. All right. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye. So thank you very much to our two speakers. That was that was fantastic. Uh it, it's clear that there's often different options that can be used for local flap repair and the key is knowing which is the correct choice for that patient uh, and it's obvious that success depends on experience but also your eye for detail and reflection on outcomes. So I hope you've enjoyed that and uh, we will join us next week for our podcast which moves to otology uh, where we have um, is Paramita Barua and Professor Simon Lloyd who will be discussing the management of superior semicircular canal dehiscence.